When news breaks, go beyond the headlines with the new MSNBC app. New developments in the legal drama surrounding former President Donald Trump. Get real-time analysis from live blogs to in-depth essays, video highlights from your favorite shows and hosts. Lots of news of all kinds going on right now. And the latest updates on the 2024 election. The rematch is on. It's Trump-Biden part two. Go beyond the what to understand the why. Download the app now at msnbc.com slash app. Tonight on The Readout. This generation of Americans has a rendezvous with destiny. We stand today on the edge of a new frontier. A whole world looks to see what we shall do. And we cannot fail that trust and we cannot fail to try. This place called America, this shining city on a hill, this government of, by, and for the people. There is not a liberal America and a conservative America. There is the United States of America. As president, we will wage a war on the woke. We will fight the woke in schools. We will fight the woke in the corporations. We'll fight the woke in the halls of Congress. We will never surrender to the woke mob. I'm sorry. (laughs) The soaring rhetoric of America's presidents versus the feeble rants of a wannabe who was just called a small, pathetic man by a fellow governor. Whoa, 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 whoa. Plus, stand by for breaking news in the Trump investigations involving his final White House chief of staff, Mark Meadows. Also tonight, growing calls for justice following the killing of A.J. Owens, a Florida mother of four who was shot to death as she defended her children last Friday night. And we begin tonight with breaking news. The New York Times is reporting that Mark Meadows, former chief of staff, has testified before the federal grand jury hearing evidence in special counsel Jack Smith's investigations. It's not clear when Meadows testified or which part of the investigation he was asked about. But this is a significant development. Quoting from the Times, Meadows was around for pivotal moments leading up to and after the 2020 election as Trump plotted to stay in office and thwart Joe Biden from being sworn in to succeed him. Some of them were described in hundreds of text messages that Meadows turned over to the House Select Committee that investigated the January 6th attack at the Capitol before he decided to stop cooperating. Those texts served as a roadmap for House investigators. But Meadows also has insight into efforts by the National Archives to retrieve roughly two dozen boxes of presidential material that officials had been told Trump took with him when he left the White House in January 2021. Meadows was one of Trump's representatives to the archives, and he had some role in trying to discuss the matter with Trump, according to two people briefed on the matter. This development comes as we are learning new details about the classified documents case and how another grand jury in Florida is also hearing from witnesses. The New York Times reports there are indicator or indications that the Washington grand jury may have stopped hearing witness testimony in recent weeks, according to three people familiar with its workings. As for the Florida grand jury, which began hearing evidence last month, only a handful of witnesses have testified before it or are scheduled to appear. At least one witness has already testified there, and another is set to testify on Wednesday. 
The Times also reports that among those who have appeared before the D.C. grand jury in the past few months or have been subpoenaed by it are more than 20 members of Trump's Secret Service security detail. Earlier today, NBC News exclusively caught the special counsel on video for the first time, who unsurprisingly remained tight-lipped. Is an indictment coming soon, sir? Is an investigation wrapping up, sir? Trump, in the meantime, is doing the complete opposite. Lashing out on his fake Twitter social media site, calling the investigation election interference and even referring to the DOJ and the FBI as Marxists and fascists. While on Capitol Hill, his cronies are once again lining up to do the former president's legal bidding at taxpayer expense. Today, House Judiciary Committee Chairman Jim Jordan sent a letter to Attorney General Merrick Garland demanding an unredacted copy of the memorandum outlining the scope of Mr. Smith's probes regarding President Trump and any supporting documentation relating to his appointment as special counsel. This is all coming to a head right as the 2024 campaign is getting underway. And while in any normal universe, a potential federal indictment would be the nail in the coffin for a presidential candidate, for Trump, it's actually causing Republican lawmakers to double down on their support, which should come as no surprise, considering they didn't flinch during his two impeachments, a Capitol insurrection, his arrest in New York for paying off a porn star and being found liable for sexual abuse. Republicans are standing by their man, even as more and more candidates are jumping into the Republican race. Tomorrow, former VP Mike Pence, who's Trump's followers at the Capitol riot wanted to hang, is expected to formally announce his bid for the White House. And any moment now, former New Jersey Governor Chris Christie will officially launch his presidential campaign, in which he appears to be the only Republican candidate who's actually willing to take on the twice, imbe- twice impeached, once indicted, found liable for sexual abuse, former president. Donald Trump made us smaller by dividing us even further and pitting one group against another, different groups pitted against different groups every day, and by definition making those groups smaller. Joining me now is George Conway, conservative lawyer and Washington Post contributing columnist. Uh, Welcome to the show. Uh, Good to have you here, Mr. Conway. So ABC News is reporting now that Mark Meadows um, answered questions about both potential Jack Smith cases, election interference and classified documents. Your thoughts? That's very, very significant. And if he is cooperating with uh, Mr. Smith and the Justice Department and the FBI, that's a very bad sign for Donald Trump, particularly in the January 6th investigation, where he was really the gatekeeper uh, in keeping with with respect to communications to Trump, where people were trying to get through to Trump and say, Trump, you have to say something, Mr. President, you have to say something. He was the the guy who was basically opening and closing the door and and talking to Trump, including, and he was the one who got, I think, Ivanka to come down Mm -hmm. to talk to to her father. Uh, He was basically, you know, Grand Central Station that day. And if there's anyone who could you know, could shed light on Trump's state of mind, what he did, what he didn't do. Uh, it, it's Mark Meadows. And that's a very, that's got to be a very, very disturbing thing for Donald yeah. Trump. So yesterday um, we learned of this other grand jury. There's a right. Florida grand jury now. There's a Washington grand jury. The Washington grand jury is going to re-up uh, on Wednesday and hear witnesses. We know just a couple of people have gone down in Florida. Do you have any sense um, as, you know, given your background as a prosecutor, given just all the things that you've heard, of whether or not you can tell whether the Jack Smith process is 
has a more ripe sort of conclusion in the documents case or in the January 6th case? Because the Meadows uh, testimony suggests to me that that part of it actually isn't dead. And I think a lot of people had been focusing just yeah, on documents. I, I'm going to disclaim being a prosecutor. I'm sorry. I did some, I I did some white collar. Well, you promoted me. <laughs> I, I, I did some white collar defense in my, life, in, in my lifetime. But I, I think that it's pretty clear that the, the documents investigation is approaching the end. I mean, you can just feel it by the t- number of leaks that are occurring. And yeah. what happens in these investigations is that defense lawyers share information because they, my guy went into the grand jury. He wants to know before he goes in what your guy said. So right. I'm talking to you as, a, as fellow lawyers, and they all share information and it all gets passed around. And when you reach the late stages of a very large investigation like this, there are lots and lots of people who know basically what has been told to the grand jury right. and to uh, the FBI and, and the prosecutors outside the grand jury. And they know this and they're free to talk about it, um, unlike the prosecutors or the grand jurors themselves. So uh, that's why we see a lot of these leaks coming out. And the fact that Trump's lawyers went in there yesterday and went right. to the Justice Department to meet with, with, with presumably Jack Smith and maybe the head of the criminal division. I don't know who they met with, but um, it, it's, that shows you that they are near the end of the line. And, and when you think about the timing of it, uh, you know, if you want to try a case before, you want to bring a case before the election season starts, and you certainly want to try it before the election actually happens, sure. um, your best shot at doing that is to bring that case now in the yeah. next few weeks. I mean, James Comey uh, said that you know Trump could be wearing an ankle bracelet uh, while he's accepting the Republican convention. I mean, the idea Absolutely of having right. this running I into— agree with Comey, yeah, but yeah. Yeah, I mean, well, I mean— the, 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 You're right. So the fact that you do have this Florida grand jury um, and the Washington grand jury, it, there, there is this is from The New York Times. They said that there are two possibilities that— are suggested by the fact of these two grand juries. One is that the investigation in Washington is largely complete and prosecutors are now poised to make a decision about bringing charges um, there while still weighing other potential indictments in Florida. The other is that Mr. Smith has decided that Florida is the proper venue for any charges he might bring in the case and has moved the entire grand jury proceeding there. And, you know, sort of the theory of the case is that the alleged crime, at least the documents part, took place at Mar-a-Lago. Do you have a sense of of which of those seems more real? I I don't. I I would wouldn't hazard a guess. I mean, but the fact is, right, the Sixth Amendment requires that uh, criminal defendants be tried before juries from the state and the district in which the crime is committed. And so that's that's an interesting question. For yeah. Trump, it's an interesting question because he did a lot of obstruction in Florida, sure. but the obstruction was directed at people in Washington. Yeah. And um, and so it could be that they decided that the, that the low risk route is that to, to bring the, the case in Florida or to bifurcate it and take sure. the, which is what they did with the Manafort situation. They had a case in the Eastern District across the river, Eastern right. of Virginia, and a case here in the District of Columbia. Or it could be that you know a maintenance person at Mar-a-Lago went into the uh, FBI's field office in <laughs> Miami and lied his butt off, and and they want to bring some standalone one thousand one charges, and they got to do it before that grand. But they might want to. We don't know. Else, we right? don't actually know. We won't know until we actually see these indictments, how they pleaded the indictments and how, you know, and, and how what position they're taking on venue. Um, the, Mark Meadows figures in one of the more recent revelations about uh, Donald Trump's handling or mishandling of those classified documents. He's at Bedminster in New Jersey yeah. and he's giving uh, an interview. And this is regarding Mark Meadows book. Yeah. And he's uh, waving a piece of paper, which we don't know what that piece of paper was. This proves Mark Milley is a liar. This yeah. proves General Milley is a, is a liar. It, could it be that the interviews, and we don't know when they took place, we know they're about both, 
are because Mark Meadows is considered a witness or is he in any way potentially in any legal trouble himself? Well, because he did participate, as you said, in January 6th. I, I, I think he has some exposure potentially for January 6th because he was participating in these calls. I think he was participated in the Raffensperger call, if I remember correctly. He he was you know, passing on directions to people to do things on behalf of Trump, such as I, I think he may have had some involvement in the fake electors. I don't remember for what, from all the, all the hearings right. from last so summer. So many things. But, but yeah, I think he may have some exposure there, which means he really does have an incentive to cooperate there. I don't know whether he has exposure in the documents case. Sure. But in, at all events, if you're going to cooperate with the government, you have to cooperate all the way. Yeah. They don't take they don't take part way. And he can't do what he did with the January 6th committee, which yeah. was refused to cooperate. Correct. I think I just re- am reminded what Cassidy Hutchinson said. She is was trying on January 6th to get Mark Meadows to do something, to get Mark Meadows yeah. to act. And he seemed like sort of catatonic um, and saying, well, Donald Trump doesn't want to do anything. He seems to have been the ultimate apparatchik, sort of on a Rudy Giuliani yes. scale. Yes. Um, the fact that he's cooperating now might mean that, you know, he just doesn't want to go to jail for Donald Trump, right. unlike Manafort. Right. Maybe that is the I sort mean, of good news. This, this guy was a weather vane. I mean, he yeah. was telling people, I mean, we saw this in the, in the January 6th hearing, he was telling people what they wanted to hear. He was telling pe- some people, he was telling, oh, he'll, he'll, he'll calm down, he'll, he'll, he'll settle down, and he'll, he'll, he'll accept the results of the election. He was telling some people and other people, he was saying, yeah, we'll fight this to the very end. Yeah. And, you know, he's not a strong-willed character, which means I just don't think he's the type who's going to want to, as you just point out, go to jail for Donald John Trump. Let me ask you a, a political question. So you now have a number of candidates jumping in, one of whom, Ron DeSantis, has essentially said, I'd pardon him if I got in. And sort of using you didn't that think as that was to, Churchillian? I mean... <laughs> I'm sorry. I fight the woke. He's so robotic and weird. Right, it's just fight such the a woke. fight the woke on the beaches. On the beaches, they'll fight them in the air. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. somebody wrote that. Blood, sweat, toil, and Bud Light. He right? clearly <laughs> thinks that it's genius. Someone ought to tell him it's dumb. Yeah, yeah, no. it's dumb. Uh, but, but you've also got Chris Christie, who seems to be sort of a human <laughs> cannonball. He's literally like, I'm just going to take Donald Trump out. I'm going to, you know, I'm of, for that, you know, and take him out. But what do you make of the fact that you still have not had any? of these candidates, including Mike Pence, who would have been the victim of a hanging on that day, say definitively Donald Trump is not qualified to be president of the United States based on his own actions and multiple impeachments and an indictment. No other word for it but cowardice. They're, they're putting their, you know, I mean, and, and it's funny with, with with Pence. Pence has zero chance of being elected president. Zero. His best chance of becoming president was on the by, by virtue of the 25th Amendment back in January <laughs> right. of 2021. Which he refused so, to do. You know, he should he, he should own the fact that he did the right thing on January 6th, sure. although he, he he's responsible for allowing it to happen it in the weeks before. Indeed. Um, I just don't understand. It. It's, it's just cowardice on behalf of all of these candidates, and they they have to realize that they have to suck it up if they want to if they want to save their party. They got to get rid of Donald Trump because, yeah. you know, Lindsey Graham was right several years ago. He was. He was. He's, he's and, a loon, and, um, I think he said. You know, and that's the one thing I, I, I have to say about Christie is he un, he gets that and he's going to go out. And I think w- what Christie has to do is not just attack Trump, but get under his skin so yeah. that Trump does stupid things that he normally does stupider things than he yeah. otherwise would do. For, for those who want Donald Trump to not be president, probably the most efficacious way of doing that is to have it come down to Christie versus Trump. He's the only one who's one. Yeah, and, and I don't know whether that's going to happen. But somebody's got to somebody's got to get under his skin. Yeah, um, I think uh, these indictments will help. You don't think it's Ron DeSantis? Ron DeSantis. No, Ron DeSantis. He can't even <laughs> DeSantis can't even mention the man's name. Fight the woke. All right, George Conway. It was All so right. great to meet you in person. Thank All you right. very much for being Fun here. To be here. Um, up next on the readout, California Governor Gavin Newsom slams the aforementioned Ron DeSantis as a small pathetic man. 
while threatening to charge him with kidnapping over his latest craven political stunt involving migrants. The readout continues after this. Fight the woke, fight the woke, 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 woke. <laughs> Governing is not entertainment. It's not about building a brand or virtue signaling. It is about delivering results. Leadership is not about entertainment. It's not about virtue signaling. It's not about kind of the show. Leadership at the end of the day, it's not about entertainment. It's not about building a brand. It's not about virtue signaling. It's about producing results. Uh For someone who loves to gripe about virtue signaling, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis sure is good at it. Yesterday, a plane carrying migrants arrived in Sacramento. And according to California officials, the transportation was arranged by the state of Florida and Mr. DeSantis, or is it DeSantis? According to the L.A. Times, over the weekend, another flight with more than a dozen migrants from South America arrived in Sacramento from New Mexico, where they had been bussed from El Paso, Texas. These individuals were carrying documents that indicated that their trip was arranged by the Florida Division of Emergency Management and Bertal Systems, the same private contractor that flew 50 migrants to Martha's Vineyard when DeSantis's when he DeSantis first debuted this little stunt. Just like the migrants in Martha's Vineyard, these new migrants were lured onto the plane with false promises of jobs and housing. Now, mind you, Florida has no border with Mexico, New Mexico, Texas, or California. And these migrants were nowhere near Florida. So it sure looks like DeSantis is virtue signaling Republicans that he too is obsessed with undocumented migration. California Attorney General Rob Bonita told Rob Bonta told the L.A. Times they completely exploited, abused and manipulated these folks who were vulnerable and were hoping and dreaming of a job and told they would be helping. They would be helped finding that job only to be abandoned. Governor Gavin Newsom went even further, tweeting Ron DeSantis, you small, pathetic man. This isn't Martha's Vineyard kidnapping charges. Here's the reality. DeSantis is using human beings to capitalize on purely performative immigration politics. And since he brought it up, I wanted to take the opportunity to note that since the end of Title 42, border crossings under President Joe Biden have gone down 70 percent. Just last month, DeSantis signed a law that boosts his migrant relocation program, expands requirements for E-Verify and requires citizenship questions for medical treatment. The bill also punishes anyone who transports an undocumented person across state lines. If they are found breaking the law, they face stiff fines and up to 15 years in prison. The fun irony here is that Florida businesses heavily rely on migrant labor, and his bill has created a chilling effect, causing workers and their families to flee the state, leaving abandoned fields, empty construction sites, and truck drivers calling for boycotts. It also prompted a statewide protest dubbed a day without immigrants, with people walking off the job to march and chant against the law. On Monday, three Republican state representatives who voted for the law appeared at an event in Hialeah where they told attendees in English and in Spanish that the bill is supposed to scare you. They then begged Florida's labor force to not leave the state, claiming that the law has no teeth. 
So wait, Florida Republicans, you're saying the draconian immigration bill that you passed for DeSantis's presidential PR was supposed to be nothing more than virtue signaling? Huh. Join me now. It's Thomas Kennedy, spokesperson for the Florida Immigrant Coalition. Um, let's talk about that. This um, bill has now been uh, called merely a toothless scare tactic by these three representatives from Hialeah. I actually used to live in Hialeah for, for a short time. It's, it's very heavily Latino. So they were trying to convince Latinos to like, tell your friends, don't leave the state. But the bill is actually more than that, isn't it? Isn't it? Is it just virtue signaling or is this bill really dangerous? That's the most disgusting part about what this representative said, Joy. The, the bill has real life implications for people. And they're actually putting people in danger by pretending otherwise. And they're just lying and spitting because of the heavy community backlash that they're facing. This bill would mandate E-Verify for uh, companies that hire more than 25 people. It actually mandates that healthcare uh, providers and emergency rooms uh, that accept Medicaid dollars asks the immigration status uh, of patients. It prohibits local funding for community IDs because in Florida, if you're an undocumented person, you cannot get any form of state ID or a driver's license. It makes it a third degree felony to traverse state lines with an undocumented person. And that's for U.S. residents and U.S. citizens, by the way. And it becomes a second degree felony if we're talking, if we're talking about a minor, even if that minor is your child or your family member. And there's so many other provisions. This is a huge bill with huge implications. And you heard it on the video. Their intent is to dissuade people from coming into Florida by making their lives a living hell. It's cruel. It's inhumane. And it's not in the spirit of Florida. We're supposed to be a welcoming community in this state. Yeah, I'm going to post uh, the video is posted actually on my social media. I thought we were going to play it, but I apologize. I didn't play the video. But the, the representatives, these three high, these three local representatives, they they start arguing that the bill that people should convince their family members and friends to stay. So what you now have are Republicans admitting that this bill was a huge mistake and but yet defending the existence of the bill and defending Ron DeSantis and defending Donald Trump and saying they are the greatest governor and president in history. Is that argument going to work with Latino voters in Florida who are feeling the effects of this bill, if not on themselves, on their businesses or on family members? Look, the, the, the worst part of this all is that they were warned about the implications of this bill. They were warned on committee. They were warned in private meetings with them. They were warned on the floor, both in the Senate and the House, about how this would impact construction, how it would impact the agriculture sector or hospitality sector, which is so important in Florida. And they just disregarded it. Because this bill serves the political ambitions of the governor who's running for president and is to posture as the most anti-immigrant candidate as he debates Donald Trump. What I can tell you is what immigrants in the state need is uh, they need relief. And something that, that could be done at the federal level is for the Biden administration to grant temporary protected status to different diasporas. Uh, that are in this in this state vulnerable to DeSantis's anti-immigrant policies, folks like uh, Nicaraguans and Guatemalans, Salvadorians. Um, so we need relief because we are under extreme attack by uh, an out of control state government.
And meanwhile, what DeSantis is doing is paying a private company to go into Texas, grab migrants and fly them to other states, to blue states, to uh, first Massachusetts and now to California. Uh, there is reporting out tonight. Um, tell me in my ear who that person who's, who's recorded it. Palm Beach Post that DeSantis tonight, today, during one of his campaign stops, claims that the migrants who were snatched and flown to California, for which the governor of California is saying it's kidnapping and that he should be charged with kidnapping, that they, quote, volunteered to get on these flights. That's his new excuse, that these people volunteered to get on these flights. And again, they didn't fly from Florida. They're snatching them from Texas and flying them to California. Your thoughts? I mean, these, these are these are people that have, you know, just undergone the most traumatic experience in their lives, you know, and, and they're told, you know, to 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 get into these these planes, you know, with, without giving uh, without being given pr- uh, proper context. And we can't trust Florida officials. Right. So we need a proper investigation. The worst part about the situation or, or not the worst part, but one of the worst parts is the level of grift involved. It came out during the original migrant flights to Martha's Vineyard that the contractors, the contractors that they were using donated exclusively to Republican campaigns, including Larry Keith, who is um, one of the architects in the DeSantis administration of this program. So there's a level of self-dealing here with our tax dollars. I'm a, I'm a Florida uh, taxpayer myself, and I don't want my tax dollars going into this. I want yeah. to go, go into addressing a property insurance uh, a market crisis here or skyrocketing housing costs, the, the chronic flooding that we see, public transportation. But instead, again, it all comes back to the fact that the governor is running for president and again needs to posture as the most anti-immigrant candidate there is. Yeah. And it's ironic that they would pass a law uh, making it a felony to transport images across state lines when the governor is literally transporting image Im- immigrants across state lines. Maybe he should be investigated for breaking his own law and maybe spend 15 years thinking about it. Uh, Thomas Kennedy, Thank you very much. Um, Much appreciated. Coming up, still more questions and answers about the deadly shooting of a black mother of four in Florida. One of A.J. Owens' neighbors who witnessed the aftermath joins me next. Today and every day, Planned Parenthood is committed to ensuring that everyone has the information and resources they need to make their own decisions about their bodies, including abortion care. Lawmakers who oppose abortion are attacking Planned Parenthood, which means affordable, high-quality, basic health care for more than 2 million people is at stake. The right to control our bodies and get the health care we need has been stolen from us. And now, politicians in nearly every state have introduced bills that would block people from getting the sexual and reproductive care they need. Planned Parenthood believes everyone deserves health care. It's a human right. That's why they fight every day to push for common-sense policies that protect our right to control our own bodies and against policies that interfere with decisions between patients and their doctor. Planned Parenthood needs your support now more than ever. With supporters like you, we can reclaim our rights and protect and expand access to abortion care. Visit PlannedParenthood.org future. That's PlannedParenthood.org future. She simply knocked on the door. The woman shot her through the closed door with her son, nine years old, standing next to her. The N-word 
slaves of the profanity. B words, you name it. This was not the first incident. This has happened numerous times. That was the mother of Ajika A.J. Owens, who, along with family and friends, is demanding the arrest of the white neighbor who shot and killed her daughter, apparently over a dispute involving the victim's children. The shooting occurred in Ocala, Florida, this past Friday night, with very few answers coming from Marion County Sheriff Billy Woods, who has since framed the incident as a longtime neighborhood feud. This characterization of a feud has been picked up by the media, of course. But, as is often the case, there is much more to the story. And according to friends and witnesses, the sheriff's framing is inaccurate. The case puts stand-your-ground laws back into the spotlight as investigators determine whether Florida's shoot-first law applies to a case involving a black woman ringing a doorbell and getting shot through a closed door. Four days since Owens' death, the shooter's identity has not yet been released. A.J. Owens was the mother of four children, who you see here. Isaac, age 12, Israel, age 9, Africa, age 7, and Titus, who is just three years old. Joining me now is someone who knew these children and who witnessed the aftermath of the shooting, Phyllis Willis, Phyllis Wills, I'm sorry, and her son, Kingston. They are neighbors of A.J. Owens. Thank you both for being here. Um, and Phyllis, um, I really appreciate you being here. So, I want to start uh, just by asking you um, where you live in proximity to where this took place and in proximity to the shooter. I live right across the street from the shooter. And I could um, literally walk out my door in her apartments right there. Okay. And this field where the kids were playing is in between your home and where the shooter lives. Is that correct? The field is across the street from my home. Her apartment is directly across the street from my home. Now you said so her apartment. The field, oh, go on. Correct. Go on. We live in we live in an apartment complex. So gotcha. the field is in between her home and another another uh, quadruplex. So you were able to see the aftermath of what of what happened. Could you hear what happened as well? I did not hear what happened. I was serving dinner to my kids. Um, uh, her son I have on video banged on my door really loud. And I was like, what in the world? Like he banged so loud and I opened the door and he was gasping for air. And he's like, please, somebody help me call 911. My mom's been shot. As soon as he told me that his mother was shot, I already knew who shot her because I mean, there there would be only one person out here that's been just so nasty to everybody. Tell me about that. The lady is just not all there in the head. She's really nasty to the children. She's really nasty. She's she throws racial slurs to the kids. Um, she, you know, she tells them if they don't get off their property, she's told my daughter that she was going to be raped. Um, she said a lot of nasty stuff. She's called her retarded. She's, you know, done all types of stuff. We've made numerous police reports on this lady about her and the way that she talks to our children and nothing has been done. And 
Were you surprised, given the fact that, as you said, that she has menaced and bullied the children before, that she was not arrested and charged? I'm very surprised. I'm really more hurt than anything. Do you do you trust the sheriff in this town? I do not trust him at all. Why? Because he, you know, he could have already made an arrest. If it was the other way around, she would have already been in jail. And do you mind if I ask Kingston a question? Would that be okay? Go ahead. So Kingston, how are you, cutie? Um, I understand. Okay. I understand that you are best friends with Isaac. Is he your good friend? Yeah. Well, I, um, I understand that he was a hero, that he um, tried to call 911, and he was very heroic that day. Do, were, did you ever experience the, the lady um, that your mom is talking about being mean to, to you and your, your friends? Yes. What yes. kind of stuff did she do? She, she would always come outside and like tell us to get off her property and she would just cuss at us and flick us off. And mom, let me ask you, you this question. Um, you know, there is this story about her talking about her property. Does she own the apartment complex? None of us own anything. We lease. So where she is a renter. The field where the kids play, they play on the other side of the field. The field is so big. They play on the whole other side that's not even close to her apartment. She just intentionally would come out. Every time she would see the children out, she would intentionally come out her door to antagonize the children every single time. And um, she'd come did you out know toward the kids. She would record them. She would cuss at them, call them names. She would sit in her truck and turn her radio up really loud so that they would, you know, not yeah. want to hear it and annoy them. She would beep their horn. She would like lay on her horn in her truck for a long period of time to try to startle the kids. You know, at one point she showed my daughter, there was the children were out there in the field and she waved a gun at them for them to get off of the field. She's done so many things, so many things to these kids. Wow. Let me ask you one last question. And I want to ask a question about AJ. Um, Did you know her well? And what was she like? She was amazing. She was amazing. She was a great mother to her kids. She always went to work and came straight home to her kids. When she came outside with her children, she would throw football with not only her kids, but all of the kids. She encouraged my son to sign up for football and I couldn't take him because I'm working. So she went and signed him up herself and took him to football practice and all that stuff. She's amazing. And what do you want to see happen next? I want justice. I want to see this lady in jail. She's a monster. Well, I appreciate uh, you coming. We all up here appreciate you coming down and telling us what you saw and know. Last question. Have the police interviewed you? Briefly, but not really. Um, I maybe got one or two questions. And that was it. Like, even the night that that she passed away, they never, you know, they never came around interviewing anybody. It was, you know, it's, I don't know. It's just not right. 
Well, I, I will note that the legacy of Stand Your Ground in this country, um, and I will quote from The Guardian, the legacy of Stand Your Ground is this Wild West mentality that everything can be resolved with guns, said law professor Thaddeus Hoffmeister. Kenneth Nunn, a law professor, added, all you have to say is I was in fear for my life and no charges will be brought. I think a lot of police officers believe that, too, and are not arresting people for shooting folks. Um, it is horrible. It happened to Ralph Yarl, shot um, through a door, and it's now happened to A.J. Owens. It is unjust. And we're going to keep following this story. Phyllis Wills and uh, Kingston, my friend, thank you very much for being here. We appreciate you both. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Still ahead. A stunning about face rocks the world of professional golf as the PGA Tour jumps into bed with the Saudi-backed Live Tour, giving the Saudis almost total control over an entire sport. On the MSNBC podcast, How to Win 2024, political experts, former Senator Claire McCaskill and Democratic strategist Jennifer Palmieri examine the campaign strategies unfolding in this all-important election. The focus is on the voters that are not necessarily in your corner now. If Democrats are going to win in 2024, we have to be able to explain what is happening at the border and what the solutions are. Search for How to Win 2024 wherever you get your podcasts. New episodes every Thursday. Hi, everyone. It's Katie Fang. Did you know my weekly show on MSNBC is now available as a podcast? With my decades of experience as a trial lawyer, you'll get an insider's perspective on all things legal. At a time when politics and the law are inextricably intertwined, my guests and I break down what's next and why it matters both inside and outside the courtroom. Search for The Katie Fang Show wherever you're listening and follow. Well, most of professional golf will officially become a reputation laundering machine for Saudi Arabia's oppressive government and its abysmal human rights record. After today's surprise announcement that the PGA Tour and Live Golf, bankrolled by Saudi Arabia's sovereign wealth fund, have agreed to a merger. It's the biggest American incursion by Saudi Arabia's international campaign to dress up its image and paper over things like the assassination of Washington Post journalist Jamal Khashoggi that the CIA concluded was coordinated by Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman. The kingdom is a sponsor of Formula One auto racing, owns a soccer team in the English Premier League, and has lured some of the world's most popular soccer stars to play for Saudi teams. So riddle me this. How would you feel if I told you all of that, but substituted Iran or Libya for Saudi Arabia? And besides the bone sawing of an American resident overseas, there are also the unavoidable allegations of Saudi government ties to the September 11 terror attacks. Fifteen of the 19 hijackers were Saudi nationals. In a statement, the 9-11 families unequivocally blasted the merger, saying, now the PGA and Commissioner Jay Monahan appear to have become just more paid Saudi shills, taking billions of dollars to cleanse the Saudi reputation so that Americans and the world will forget how the kingdom spent their billions of dollars before 9-11 to fund terrorism, spread their vitriolic hatred of Americans and finance al-Qaeda and the murder of our loved ones. Make no mistake, we will never forget. 
Joining me now is Dave Zirin, sports editor for The Nation and host of Edge of Sports TV, which debuts tomorrow night. Congratulations on that, Dave. Um, so let's talk about this. Uh, Senator Chris Murphy uh, had a tweet today that said, so weird. PJ officials were in my office just months ago talking about how the Saudis' human rights record should disqualify them from having a stake in a major American sport. I guess maybe their concerns weren't really about human rights. I guess money's real pretty. Your thoughts? Hmm. Look, we should never be surprised, Joy, when repugnant organizations run by repugnant people do repugnant things. And the PGA Tour is an organization that is built on a foundation of nostalgia for the Dixie South and land expropriation. These are not good people. And this is not a slight against the game of golf, just that their minders are roughly to the right of Genghis Khan. But they've dressed themselves up in this kind of patriotic bunting to say, support the PGA and not the evil Saudis of the Live Tour. And they have been talking this up. And the thing that's so remarkable about this is not that they sold out to the tune of billions of dollars, because that's what people like this do. What's shocking to me and why this day, I think, will live in infamy as a pivot point in this conversation about sports washing is because the PGA had won. The PGA Tour was kicking live golf tours behind. The live tour was becoming a toxic asset, best known for being associated with Donald Trump and, frankly, half-assed tournaments and paying off golfers nine figures to play poorly overseas with little to no fan interest. The PGA Tour had had this one, this competition. Live golf had only been around a year. And they were already at this point where they said, "Okay, we can either fold our tent or we can write the largest check in the history of golf and buy off the sport if we have willing participants on the other side. And the PGA Tour folks were only too willing to take that check. Yeah, it's like an episode of Succession, right, where it's like, you know what, we don't want to do it. We don't want to do it. Money (laughs) like, yeah, Yeah. we're going to do it. I mean, you you mentioned Donald Trump. I mean, Donald Trump, the PGA had also shoved him out and his golf courses off of the PGA tours. Well, now he can come right back because he's already in bed with the Saudis. Absolutely. And what's also disturbing about this is that this the, the actions of today have made Trump look prescient because he said a year ago to the PGA golfers, what are you doing? Liv is going to own everything eventually anyway. So it was basically this very cynical Trumpist comment where he said, you might as well take the money because morality out the window. It's basically the entire Trumpist philosophy about not just Saudi Arabia, but all of foreign policy tied up in his opinion that Liv might as well control golf. Heck, Saudi Arabia might as well control all of sports because all that matters is getting paid. And anybody yeah. who isn't getting paid is by definition a sucker. And today, Trump looks prescient instead of looking like this guy minding this toxic, decaying asset known as Live Golf. And I have to tell you, when I think about the conservative minded people who run the PGA Tour, one really does wonder, given that this actually does give some political wind towards Donald Trump as the person who saw this coming. You know, it's interesting that, you know, the, you've got people on the right who are very incensed about what Anheuser-Busch is doing when it, you know, it makes Bud Light commercials, but they don't mind this. Um, the Saudis have a lot of public investments in things that people think of as American. Uber, Al- uh, Google, Alphabet, Amazon, BlackRock, J.P. Morgan Chase, Meta, Microsoft, PayPal, Starbucks, Walmart, uh, Electric Arts, Take-Two Interactive. They've been involved in funding Twitter. Um, they, they are all over um, the U.S. They they used to own a big chunk of Fox. They're the second largest shareholder in Twitter. Uh, it's, it's, it's emo, Elon Musk and them. 
at this point, have we just surrendered our outrage over 9-11 and said, you know what? The people who were likely behind that, they're good as long as they pay. I mean, that, that is what's passing for morality. Uh, 2023, United States um, in, in a society and in a country that's dealing with serious decay, whether it's infrastructure, whether it's the question of hope, uh, decay surrounds us. And this idea, well, we might as well get paid, you know, while we're falling down, while we're careening down the hill, far too often passes for a political morality uh, in our country right now. I mean, I think, though, Joy, everything you just said, is just an aperitif for what's to come. Expect Saudi Arabia to make a serious and, in my view, successful play to host the World Cup and the Olympics back-to-back in the 2030s as part of a broader push to use sports, and this is what we call sports washing, to project itself internationally as one of the leading countries in the world that should be respected and the cost we will pay for that when that final, when the contract is signed, I think is going to be something we suffer with for years to come. I mean, it was just 2,000 people who died in a fiery inferno and Jamal Khashoggi got bone sawed, right? What's that compared to hundreds of billions of dollars? It's, yeah. it's gross. It's gross. It's disgusting. Dave Zirin, thank you very much. Appreciate you. We'll be right back. That's tonight's readout. Here on MSNBC, we are staying on top of several fast-moving stories. Today's news requires more facts. A new report finds the climate crisis is getting much worse. More context. We are seeing record numbers of people crossing into the United States just in the southern border. And more ground covered. The mission will continue to carry out regime change in the Gaza Strip. The world's never been harder to understand. That's why it's never been more important to try. MSNBC. Understand more.